Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the House of Representatives finally has a speaker, but the damage of Washington paralysis will take a while to unpack. Among the overdue business is hammering out a new farm bill after the existing legislation expired earlier this month. Also this morning, adding another layer to the already complicated open enrollment period, those who qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid have additional options to consider. We'll tell you what you need to know. Coach's Corner host John Marshall previews the opening round of the high school football playoffs, and our Around the World tour continues with a collection of easy Irish recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, October 27th, 2023. Lots of Halloween parties this weekend. Uh, Coming up on the uh, spooky holiday, you can go too far, though, in your Halloween celebrations. In some parts of the U.S., there are actually laws against being too scary on Halloween. Uh, And it's not just laws, homeowners associations, many of them have restrictions on uh, how loud your Halloween sound effects can be or how late in the evening you're allowed to frighten people, the Halloween decorations that you're allowed to put up and so on and so forth. So if you live in a neighborhood with an HOA, you got to be careful. In Phoenix, Arizona, there are actually zoning laws that prohibit decorations from being too loud or too bright. Um, There are rules in L.A. against turning your home into a haunted house, believe it or not, because they just they don't like to have fun in California. If you're having too much fun, that's against the law. We got to come in and settle these people down. (laughs) Um, In some towns in California, Irvine, for example, decorations that are too scary can be subject to a five hundred dollar fine. Um, and legally in the United States, this is not limited to, uh, to any specific state, but attorneys say legally a trick or treater can actually sue a homeowner for scaring them too much and causing emotional distress. So I'm just putting that out there. Be careful how seriously you take your Halloween celebrations. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. This may be a perfect example of taking things a little too far at Halloween. In Odessa, Texas, a man in a Halloween costume caused a scare at a local elementary school. Ector County School District officials say a man was seen banging on windows at Sam Houston Elementary earlier this week. Uh, The school had to be placed on lockdown and police were called in. The man was identified as a 20-year-old who was dressed in tactical gear, but but it turned out just to be a Halloween costume. You can see where uh, if there's a guy in tactical gear pounding on the windows of an elementary school, that might spur some type of response. You know, that's... That may be taking things a little too far. Uh, School district officials say the lockdown was lifted about a half an hour later and uh, kids were sent home dismissed early, (laughs) as you might expect, after uh, having a bit of a scare. That's taking it a little too far. So that is where you might want to draw the line. Uh, Here is... A very important safety message. We've got trick-or-treat coming up in Findlay tomorrow. And a group of medical experts urging adults to lock up their CBD and marijuana edibles before the kids go trick-or-treating. Members of the group called Trainees for Child Injury Prevention are urging parents to treat these edibles just like prescription medication. And lock them up. Dr. Andrew Kirigu, he's a pediatrician, pointed out that some edibles are deliberately marketed to look like candy and thus present a particular hazard to children who may not know the difference between those and their Halloween treats. So edibles should be kept locked in medicine cabinets or in childproof containers in order to keep kids safe. That is... 
Very important uh, advice there. And if you were thinking of having your party at someone else's house, think again. Airbnb is using artificial intelligence technology to help put a stop to rowdy Halloween parties. You remember a few a few years ago, this was very much in the news. There were a lot of stories of people renting Airbnbs, then having these big parties and trash in the place, leaving the Airbnb owner to clean up the mess. No more. Company officials say bookings that are made for this weekend are being analyzed to check for risk factors such as the length of the stay, the distance of the rental from the user's address. If the AI system finds a booking that might be problematic or suspicious, it will not allow the reservation to go through. Airbnb banned parties on its platform in 2020 after numerous reports of uh, problems with partiers who had rented out homes to hold their parties instead of you know having their own. I mean, who wants to clean up your own home when you can trash somebody else's place? Can't do that anymore on Airbnb, according to their terms of service. And now they're really getting serious about enforcing it uh, because some users have still managed to book short-term rentals for parties like the one in East Nashville last Halloween where um, there was there were reports of gun gunfire, uh, people injured, and uh, all of that. So you can see this is very uh, serious for the uh, folks at Airbnb. Kind of interesting. And uh, lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to start your day, if you're looking for something to do this weekend, you might want to check this out. The Glass City Center uh, in Toledo will host its first ever brick convention. Now, when you first hear about that, you think, oh boy, a brick convention. We're talking not not bricks in the sense of, you know, bricks and mortar. These are Lego bricks. First ever Lego brick convention in Toledo. The event is billed as an event built by Lego fans for Lego fans. And visitors will have the chance to check out a number of attractions, including large Lego displays, Lego mosaics, and also the opportunity to meet Lego masters and pro Lego artists, professional Lego artists. I didn't know there was such a thing, but I guess, I mean, you see these incredible Lego sculptures um, at different events around the country. Somebody's got to build those, so... I guess it would be the pro Lego artist. Anyway, the event happens tomorrow and Sunday uh, in Toledo, and more details are available at the website brickconvention.com slash Toledo. Brickconvention.com slash Toledo for the first ever Toledo Lego Brick Convention. If you're looking for something to do this weekend, sounds pretty cool. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your TGI Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny today with a high in the mid-70s, mostly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid-50s. The Finley Police Department says a man was taken into custody after shooting a gun into the ground at people. The police department says a man called 911 and said he had been shot at by a man and that they saw the man enter a shed behind a residence in the 200 block of Leicester Avenue. Police checked the shed and nobody was located inside. Police department says contact was made with a resident at 224 Leicester Avenue and police say he eventually admitted to shooting a pistol into the ground at the victims. Police said the 54-year-old suspect was taken into custody for aggravated menacing and discharging of a firearm within city limits. Nobody was injured in the incident. Get more on on our website. A typo in language submitted to the Ohio Attorney General's office is restarting the process of getting a redistricting amendment on the ballot in November of 2024. The group Citizens Not Politicians is trying to get enough support to change how Ohio's legislative maps are drawn. Now, this means instead of politicians drawing those maps, a separate citizen commission would do it instead. Initially, that group submitted documents for this change to the Ohio Attorney General's office. Now they will have to resubmit paperwork. ONN's Amy Steigerwald reporting. 
Hancock County has been awarded a $550,000 federal grant to expand services at the Steady Path Stabilization Center on Crystal Avenue in Findlay. Precious Stuby is director of the Adamus Board of Hancock County. We are looking forward to the continued operation of the stabilization facility that's here in Hancock County, and it is helping individuals from all different walks of life stabilize and get back onto the road to recovery. In addition to mental health services, Steady Path offers programming to help transition people from higher levels of care to supportive outpatient services. Get more in the story on our website. Project Hope's annual trick-or-treat on horseback fundraiser is this weekend at their stables on Township Road 215 east of Finley. The Hope and Project Hope stands for Horses Opening People's Eyes, and the organization uses horses to help people dealing with emotional and behavioral challenges. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning The House of Representatives finally has a speaker. That is good news indeed, but the damage of this Washington paralysis is going to take a while to undo. The part that's generating the most headlines now is getting a budget done. The continuing resolution passed at the beginning of the month has only about a couple, three weeks yet uh, before it expires. But also among the overdue business is getting uh, less headlines is a farm bill uh, that is overdue, a new farm bill. That existing legislation uh, expired at the beginning of the month with the uh, new fiscal year in Washington as well. And joining us this morning to talk about the implications of that is uh, Ed Lentz, Hancock County OSU Extension uh, Educator. Ed, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. First of all, uh, should point out that the that it's not just because there was no speaker that we don't have a new farm bill. I mean, this was probably going to be late um, anyway, and it's not entirely unusual for this legislation to be late. I know it isn't, Chris, and I do thank you for having me on this morning. Uh, it's a uh... Uh, it's, it's kind of just a typical Washington politics uh, world, if we can call, of continuing resolutions and extensions and rather than people sitting down and saying, you know, we have a deadline, let's get this done. People need to know what we need. Right. Uh, what's the funding? What's going to be the program? And so it, it, it's just like everything else. Uh, what the speaker has done, though, with that not being there, he couldn't even move. It doesn't even get on the agenda. So it's back on the agenda. Uh, you know, the speaker says they're gonna, his goal is to address it and be done with it before the first of the year and have it on December. I guess I've been around long enough. I'm skeptical. Uh, well, well, we'll see. Uh, but, but there is some things that will kick in if they don't do anything. Uh, that really, they're going to have to at least do an extension because if they don't do an extension, uh, apparently back in the 30s and the 40s we had these issues. There is a permanent law that goes in play. And if they don't do anything, don't do an extension, it automatically goes back to whatever the program was in 1938, 1949. Wow. Uh, which will dramatically raise the price of milk, wheat, and other commodities. Cause it's, so it's a, it's a safeguard fallback. So something will happen if they don't do anything. And, and nobody wants that because it'll really change. A, it'll really create a mess. Yeah, no question. So uh, basically where we stand now, again, as opposed to the budget where they pass the continuing resolution as a stopgap measure, they they haven't done anything with the farm bill. There was no extension or anything. It's basically expired now, right? Well, it is expired, but there are three key components on there that are protected that will continue on as we go through this. Okay. Uh, the crop insurance program is automatically going to continue on. The conservation programs are going to automatically continue on and, and, until something gets done. And then the, the, the supplemental nutrition for low-income people will continue on. So, so that's probably also why we don't get the tremendous urgency because uh, they put those things already in play that, uh, that by, by legislation that they're not going to stop just because we don't have our act together. But there's other things such as the commodity support programs uh, those get up and up get kind of tossed up in the air. Uh, what are you going to do with that? Because they do got to have guidelines. How what triggers that, and what that trigger is going to be? Yeah, and that one isn't going to 
will not be decided. Um, now, just to kind of step back, and I think most people know this, but for the benefit of those who don't already, this is a massive piece of legislation. I don't know what it is in terms of the percentage of the total federal budget, but it's like a trillion and a half dollars involved in the farm bill. This is huge, and much of it actually has less to do with what's going on on the farm as it does nutrition programs, SNAP benefits, those kinds of things, right? Correct. And, and of course, this is a compromise made a long time ago because the, you know, the population of agriculture is not that big. Uh, and so you've got to have urban people to support a farm bill. And so they were kind of, you might say, had a shotgun marriage. Uh, so both of them will talk so they have something in there mm-hmm. uh, to happen and to, or to make this happen. Because we also, anybody with uh, common sense is going to know maybe it's a small group of, of, of population uh, that would be affected by a, you know, an actual agriculture part. It's our food supply, which affects everybody. And it's really difficult. The average person does not understand what it takes to, to get anything to our table mm-hmm. on that. And so, so, so it's worked well. But as a result, as you've said, though, Chris, Everybody wants a finger in the pot. You know, we got all the wildlife people who want to have something in there with the conservation side. We got the environmentalists who want something in there. And, of course, the the food nutrition program. So since it is so big, you got everybody wanting to come to the table and say, put my little pet project in there too, will you? Right. A A lot of working parts, and that's one of the things that makes it so difficult to hammer out a deal and, frankly, leads to these delays. Um, as I understand it, and I was looking at at some of this uh, yesterday, you certainly uh, are, are more versed in this than I am, but as I understand it, one of the things that they are looking at very closely in this latest farm bill is funding for some of those conservation programs that you mentioned. And how concerning is that that some of those may be defunded or may uh, be cut? Because I know they are uh, actually quite popular among farmers well it, it's been a win-win and we've, we've got some good things that has been established uh, the farmer it doesn't affect his profitability and they're more than willing to to i mean i mean farmers really do care about the land which means they care about the the wildlife and other things on there and historically there's been a very good partnership to make that happen uh, when it becomes difficult and challenging is when when they may put a, something in play that would significantly affect the income of the farmer and like the rest of us. So we don't want to have a significant loss of income. Right. And that's where you might say the, the challenge come is how to meet the both needs. Cause in some ways, uh, the people who really have this strong conservation thing, uh, they may not think or may not uh, have as much empathy, whether a farmer is makes a profit and stays in the business. And so just for self-preservation, the farmer is going to make sure, I, I hope I can stay in business. With yeah, well, and, and uh, that is uh, understandable. I mean, uh, you know, point out the obvious that those who are not in farming are probably going to be less concerned with the impact of these programs or the lack thereof on the farming community. So that is always a concern. What are some of the other, what are some of the other things that are being talked about that have raised some concerns among the agriculture community uh, as the the because they've been actually talking about this for months now so it's not like there are a whole lot of unknowns as to what's on the table are there any other areas that uh kind of run up some red flags well you know the doing something to to stabilize the dairy industry has always been a challenge for the farm bill you know we have we have several dairies but we're not a big dairy county so we don't hear about as much in hancock but it's huge anybody's in the dairy world of trying to uh to get a, a price as such where we get stability and we don't have dairies going out of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that'll always be a big one. Trying to estimate what we call the protection programs, which have worked very well in the last farm bill. Uh, what, uh, what triggers them? What, what's the base you use? And, but the biggest wild card in all this, Chris, that, that maybe the public may not understand next year is a presidential year. Uh, and so, so the politicians have got to decide, is it going to be better for what we want to get this thing passed uh, before we go into an election year? Because uh, once you get an election year, it's, it's like everyone has yeah. an idea what they're going to have to do to get elected. And so it kind of comes, it could become a free for all on what you do. And, 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 uh, and, and the thing of it, and then also right now, we're going to base everything on 2023. So once we go into 2024, the Congressional Budget Office is going to do a 10 year update. And that may change what the baseline is on how you compare what this thing costs. Uh, so, so all those factors 
uh, come and play. Now, from a farmer's perspective, yeah, growing a crop is a 12-month business. And so not knowing what you're going to have coming into 2024 and not knowing what the support is, it's going to be more challenging for that farmer to decide, what do I do? What yeah. do I grow? How much do I grow? And so that's the other thing that comes in play here is that we really need an extension or something in play so they have some confidence that at least for 2024, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, some, right now, they some don't know what the game plan is for 2024. Yeah. That is a good point, and the closer we get, I mean, we're talking about harvest now, but the closer we get to a planting season, obviously, uh, the bigger uh, of an issue this becomes. And then, as you mentioned, some of those uh, automatic triggers, uh, they're looming. How how long do they have to actually, real quickly, how long do they have to actually get this done before some of these uh, really significant uh, implications really start to hit home? Well, it, they can continue to, they can do extensions forever and ever, and that's what they've done in the past. Yeah. So that's what the, they're going to have to decide. Okay. I, I'll be surprised if we get something done in December. So what they're going to have to decide is do we do short-term extensions or do we give a one-year extension coming into the political year? So that's going to be a bigger question coming in here. How long of extension are they going to have? I mean, because they can say three months and then give it another three months. Right. Or they can say, we want stability, but we're going to give 12 months extension to get this done. Okay. So we'll see what, what the, our, our political parties or political representatives decide what to do for that. But we really do need a farm bill. It does, cause great, great, it does create quite a bit of uncertainty. Again, uh, Ed Lentz, Hancock County OSU Extension Educator, uh, with us this morning talking about the implications of not having a farm bill and, of course, the added delay uh, due to all of the uh, stuff going on in the House of Representatives. So hopefully that can get back on track. But again, not the top priority is uh, in uh, Congress right now with the uh, looming budget uh, issue just a couple of weeks away once again. Ed, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Well, as you know by now, because we've been talking about this, the open enrollment period is underway for Medicare uh, recipients, and we've talked about all of the various options from traditional Medicare, Medicare Advantage plans, so on and so forth, why it's important to take a look at all of this. Uh, here's one other thing that we need to talk about uh, in conjunction with this. It's another uh, aspect of it that maybe uh, throws some extra added confusion, perhaps. I'm going to try and clear that up. And that is the dual plans for those who have both Medicare and Medicaid. And joining us this morning is the medical director at United Healthcare, Dr. Gina Williams. And Dr. Williams, uh, first of all, again, this is specifically for those who qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid, hence the name dual in these dual plans, right? Yes, you have it exactly right. So the DSNIP plans, are, which are the dual SNP plans, are, are designed for people who um, want whole person care and who are um, able to access benefits both from Medicaid and Medicare. And it's typically for people who um, need additional support due to age, health conditions, and disabilities. So exactly the population you mentioned, Medicaid and Medicare. Now, these plans are similar to the uh, Medicare Advantage plans, are they not? They are in that there is a Medicare component, but there are some additional benefits with the decent plans that you may or may not get with the Medicare Advantage plan. Okay. All right. So uh, let's talk about, first of all, some of those uh, unique benefits that people can access through these dual special needs plans. Yes. So with a dual special needs plan, you can actually um, see if you qualify for a $0 copay for covered prescriptions, routine dental visits, vision exams hearing exams, and then everyday needs. So with United Healthcare's dual complete plan, you actually get a U-card, and with that U-card, you get a monthly credit. And that's used for everyday needs. So for doing things like paying for your utility bills, for getting over-the-counter products, and also for getting healthy foods like fresh fruits and vegetables, meat, seafood, and a number of other items. So, as we mentioned, and, and the reason why I reference uh, similarities to the Medicare Advantage plans, one of the big selling points on those plans are the added benefits that come at no additional cost. Is that similar with the dual special needs plans? Absolutely. 
you definitely may be eligible for additional support without any additional out-of-pocket expense with the decent plan. With the dual complete plan, you can actually qualify for a health coordinator who helps to manage your care in terms of not only your sick visits when you go to the doctor, but to keep you on track with your preventive visits and your annual wellness visits, which are designed to keep you healthy by making sure you're getting vaccinations, getting lab work, and also getting screened for medical conditions that may need to be um, treated. Now, as we've been talking about uh, to this point with the open enrollment period underway, uh, it's very important for folks to look through all of this, very important to empower people with all of the information that they need to make a uh, an informed decision here. Absolutely. So it's important for people to know you can go to getdual.com and actually determine whether or not you're eligible for a decent plan. And with those plans, you can actually learn about which benefits really work best for you. And that was what I was going to ask. Are these plans, um, I mean, where do we go to learn about these plans? Are they uh, within the same uh, websites uh, for the Medicare uh, plans and the Advantage plans that are out there? Or there, is there a special place we can go to get information specifically on these dual plans? So you actually can learn a little bit more in a streamlined site by going to the www.getdual, so it's G-E-T-D-U-A-L.com okay. to learn more about whether or not you're eligible. And is the deadline the same? Again, we were talking about the uh, Medicare open enrollment uh, period ending December 7th. Is that the same deadline for these plans? Absolutely. So it opened on October 15th, and as you said, you have until December 7th to enroll or to determine which plans you are eligible to enroll in, and um, that's for benefits to begin on January 1st of next year. Okay, so again, it's one more thing to consider, but for those who uh, have or qualify for both Medicare and Medicaid, this is something else that you will definitely want to look into for the added benefits that it could provide. Again, Dr. Gina Williams is Medical Director at United Healthcare. Mention again the website where folks can learn more and find out if they qualify. Dual.com, or you can call 1-800-560-5932. Again, Dr. Gina Williams, uh, Medical Director at United Healthcare with us this morning. Dr. Williams, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm John Marshall with this high school football preview. The Finley Trojans are in the playoffs at the number three seed in Division I Region Two. The Trojans are eight and two. They'll face three and seven, fourteenth seeded Olentangy Liberty at Donnell Stadium tonight. Pre-game is at 6:30 on 1330 WFIM, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Coach Stefan Adams knows that the Trojans can't take the Patriots lightly. No, we're facing a very, very good football team. We just cannot let their record take away from what they've done. Their record don't mean anything. Playoff playoff anything brings about a whole new season. They remind me a lot of really the teams that we played in the second half of the season. Very tough, very physical, very disciplined. They're where they want to be and where they have to be at the right time. The winner of Finley and Olentangy Liberty will meet the winner of Dublin Kaufman and Kettering Fairmont next Friday night. In Division 5 Region 18, it's Marengo Highland, a 5-5 five five team at the 12 seed at Liberty Benton. The Eagles are 9-1 overall. You can hear that game on 100.5 WKXA tonight with pregame starting at 635. The winner of Highland and Liberty Benton meets the winner of Otsego and Oak Harbor next Friday night. Also in Division 5 Region 18, Elmwood at 3-7 is the 16th seed. They are at Liberty Center. The Tigers are the number one seed at 10-0 overall. Their winner will meet Genoa and Huron's winner next Friday. In Division 6 Region 22, it's Lakota at Columbus Grove. Lakota is the number 16 seed at 5-5. Columbus Grove, an 8-2 team, is the top seed in the region. 15th seed Paulding at 6-4 is at Harmon Field in Bluffton tonight to take on the number 2 seeded Pirates, who are 9-1. And Ashland Crestview, the 13 seed at 4 and 6, is at number 4 seeded Cary, the Blue Devils, at 8 and 2. Cary coach Jonathan Mershman. Some of their younger guys have gotten better and better, and they took some lumps early in the year. I think that they're going to come in to our place fired up, ready to go, and they're they're going to throw everything at us, you know, even the kitchen sink if they can. 
In Division 7, Region 26, at number 16, it's Montpelier, a 7-3 team at Hopewell Loudon. The Chieftains are the top seed in the region at 10-0. The winner of that one will meet the winner of Lipsick and Pandora Gilboa. Lipsick at 8-2 is the number 9 seed. The number 8 seed is Pandora Gilboa, so they will host. They are 7-3. 15th seed Convoy Crestview is at 6-4. They will play Tiffin Calvert, the number two seed. That game will be played at Horniman Stadium at Heidelberg College. That winner moves on to meet the winner of Ayersville and LCC next Friday night. 14th seed and 6-4 and record Eden is at Waynesfield Goshen. The Tigers are the three seed at 10-0 and champs of the Northwest Central Conference. The winner of that one will take on the winner of Upper Scioto Valley and Macomb. USV, the number 11 seed, they are 8-2 at Macomb tonight, also an 8-2 team. Panther coach Chris Algy. Number seven, Sanders kid. He's 6'2, 195. You know, he's physical, he's big, he, he throws it. So he's rushed for 1,600 yards. Then he also has thrown for four or 500 yards. So he's a threat to run it, you know, pass it. He also catches the ball. Middle linebacker, he's he's right there in the middle, and, and he's, he's definitely a football player. You can hear that game on our sister station 1063, the Fox, tonight starting at 6 30. Arlington made the playoffs at 6-4 with a 13 seed. They've traveled to Antwerp tonight to take on the number four seeded 9-1 Archers. The winner will meet North Central or Patrick Henry next Friday night. North Central, the 12th seed at 9-1, and Patrick Henry, the number five seed at 8-2. And one game in regular season action tonight, Fremont St. Joseph is at Van Lu. Both teams played fewer than 10 games and neither made the playoffs, allowing for this unusual Week 11 regular season game. Again, it's Finley High School hosting Olentangy Liberty tonight, pregame at 6.30 on WFIN. Upper Scioto Valley at Macomb at 6.30 on 106.3 The Fox. And it's Liberty Benton hosting Marengo Highland tonight at 6.35 on 100.5 WKXA. For Good Mornings, I'm John Marshall, WFIN Sports. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. There is good news. The show will go on. A stolen U-Haul truck with puppets and props for a national touring production has been found in Richmond, California. Apparently it was stolen last weekend outside of a San Francisco motel after a four-night run of Song of the North at nearby Fort Mason. So, who would steal a trailer full of puppets i mean what what is what are you gonna do with that i mean first of all that's just that's just mean to steal a trailer full of puppets for a children's show but how are you gonna fence that stuff i mean is there a huge demand for black market puppets Maybe they didn't know what was inside. I don't know. Anyway, a woman (laughs) saw a news report about the theft and realized that the truck and uh, that the the, the U-Haul truck was parked in front of her home. And so she called uh, police. The show's director had been offering a reward and says he is relieved to have everything back. So happy ending uh, to that story. But who would steal a U-Haul full of puppets? Props for a puppet show. That's just terrible. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, the odd and unusual side of the headlines, a high school principal in Texas will not be charged for paddling a student. The Rusk County District Attorney's Office has dismissed the case against Overton High School Principal Jeff Hogg, who was arrested for assault last month after he struck a female student with a wooden paddle, leaving her with visible bruises. (laughs) Now, this is another story of the changing times. When I was in school, uh, that was a badge of honor. (laughs) Frankly, I mean, if you got paddled and you had a bruise, you showed it off to all of your friends. Now, uh, you get arrested. You get... uh, You get sued. The DA's office uh, said uh, Principal Hogg acted in accordance with the school's uh, corporal punishment policy. It is Texas, after all. (laughs) 
We still paddle our kids in Texas. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere, a python that was on the loose in an Oklahoma City trailer park for four months has finally been recaptured. How would you like to live in this trailer park with a python on the loose for four months? The eight-foot serpent evaded capture, and some trailer park residents claim that the snake was eating people's pets. Uh, Snakes Alive Exotics Rescue and Sanctuary finally located the albino golden child reticulated python on Wednesday. They found it was malnourished and said that there were no signs that it had, it had eaten anyone's pet. But that was the uh, the rumor. Uh, they also said the snake had a res- respiratory infection from being outside uh, in the uh, environment that it was not uh, accustomed to. The python would be brought to a rehab facility, and from there, I don't know, but uh, not going to give it back to its owner. It's lost for four months. People probably sitting on pins and needles there in that uh, trailer park. Um, Some of the other items, a couple of other items here in the broken news this morning. (laughs) A firefighter in Washington, D.C. is in a little bit of uh, trouble. Apparently, he was responding to a report of a woman suffering from chest pain when he stopped to pick up a Chick-fil-A order. <laughs> he stopped on the way to a respond uh, a call of a uh, maybe a heart attack, chest pain, but he swung by Chick-fil-A first. The firefighter explained himself claiming that he and his partner had ordered through the app before the call came in. So they reportedly stopped for literally, in his words, literally a few minutes tops. It was no big deal. It was just a few minutes. <laughs> a report from one of the firefighters claims there was no delay in patient care or response. Really? No delay? You stopped at Chick-fil-A to pick up your nuggets. <laughs> On the way. The uh, firefighter, not surprisingly, had his employment terminated. Uh, A second firefighter involved in the incident, uh, who was on duty at the time, is awaiting a decision on his fate. But (laughs) probably a good idea to dismiss that uh, firefighter for uh, his actions. Swing by on your way after. I mean, after you get the lady to the hospital, then go pick up your nuggets. Um, I think the folks at Chick-fil-A will understand. And and finally, in the broken news this morning, this out of Palm Coast, Florida. You know, there's always going to be something good when you hear the dateline is out of Florida. A bizarre incident captured on body camera video in which a man found himself in hot water after allegedly exposing himself to deputies in Flagler County. 40-year-old Sean Madden was taken into custody and charged with multiple offenses. Um, Let's see here. The incident unfolded on Sunday in a local neighborhood after deputies responded to reports of a man causing a disturbance and arguing with a woman in the street. Upon arrival... Deputies encountered uh, encountered a shirtless and agitated individual who is behaving aggressively and making threats toward the officers. The body cam footage captured a tense exchange as deputies attempted to defuse the situation with Mr. Madden repeatedly challenging and provoking them. Now, the officers then asked if he had any weapons and Mr. Madden dropped his pants to prove that he had no weapons on <laughs> Well, that's one way. He just dropped his drawers, say, I don't have any hidden weapons, see? <laughs> Eventually, Mr. Madden uh, sus- uh, surrendered to deputies and was taken to the uh, Flagler County Jail. He faces charges, uh, charges of indecent exposure, assault to an officer, um, resisting arrest, and... 
disorderly intoxication. What a surprise! <laughs> it's an intoxicating, uh, an intoxicating uh, beverage uh, or two or three or ten involved in this story. He has been released after posting bond uh, pending a court appearance. <laughs> Just dropped his drawers to prove that he wasn't hiding. Well, hey, they asked, you know, that's in his defense. They asked if he was hiding any weapons. He had to prove it. Uh, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. The odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When the rumors are flying, getting the facts matters more than ever. At WFIN, we're your trusted source and will always present the story only after verifying the information with trusted sources. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust in us to present just the facts when covering events impacting Finley and Hancock County. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So Halloween is coming up, and this weekend probably going to be seeing a lot of Halloween parties. Um, I tell you what, young people today... Uh, don't mess around when it comes to Halloween parties. This is a serious, a serious thing for a young people. A survey of 1,000 Gen Zers and 1,000 Millennials reveals that between the scares and the snacks, 42% of Gen Zers take these gatherings very seriously. 42% of Gen Zers, 34% of Millennials. So this is a significant part of the population young people who take this very seriously halloween the top three elements they say for a great halloween party include costumes 63 percent say you got to have a costume party 61 percent says uh the food is next and 50 percent say decorations so you got to have good decorations good decor uh great food and of course Costumes, no big surprise there. When selecting a costume, uh, respondents to the survey say, uh, first of all, the most important thing when selecting a costume, uh, 52% say that your costume needs to coordinate with others in your group. So that's number one. Uh, 51% say it is critical that others will be able to understand your costume. You don't want to have to explain it. To someone, see, and I, I would disagree. I think part of the fun is coming up with a costume that does need an explanation that that people have to think about and try and figure out, like a puzzle. Uh, those are the ones that are my favorites, but that's not, according to young people, the goal. Others have to understand it, and uh, also a big consideration with respect to the costume at a costume party, whether or not the food will mess up. Their makeup or face paint. Uh, 46% say that is a serious consideration. I can see that. I can see that. Two-thirds of Gen Zers say that even though they don't trick-or-treat anymore, they're looking for candy at their Halloween party. 67% say um, candy is a big... uh, You have to have the perfect candy bowl. By the way, 43% of millennials feel the same. So... Again, if you're holding a Halloween party, uh, just keep in mind that young people, they take this very seriously, and there is a a very specific set of guidelines for hosting (laughs) the perfect Halloween party. Once again, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio this morning, fresh back from the Halloween parade earlier yes. this week. <laughs> that was <laughs> it, so much fun. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we got a lot of candy. Yes, uh, we, we even did. We even scored we candy. We got candy. I think it was because uh, the folks, as they were walking by Judges Square, because yeah. that's where we were at the Halloween parade. Right across I from think, Yeah, right, we were right across from Judges Square. I think that folks thought we were the judges. Oh, so they were <laughs> so buttering they were to, they were trying to bribe us, uh, but that's okay. Yeah. I mean, hey. the end result was we got candy. We got so. candy. 
Yum, yum. <laughs> it's almost gone. <laughs> In any event, uh, back to our Around the World tour with a collection of easy Irish recipes yep. this week from Kyra's Kitchen. Yes. So, Irish recipes. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, what do we got? First of all, it is... Uh, the Irish meat sandwich pies. We had these last night, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact. Yes, and, we uh, did. Pretty, pretty good. Yes. Pretty good stuff. Two tablespoons of olive oil, uh, ha- a quarter of a head of uh, green cabbage shredded, uh, make it very thin, a quarter pound of red potatoes scrubbed and diced, uh, half a pound of lean ground sirloin, one and a half tablespoons of tomato paste, half a teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce, a half a teaspoon of thyme, uh, refrigerated pie crust, or if you have your homemade, that's fine also. Um, I'm just not very good at that, so <laughs> mine's refrigerated. Why make it more complicated yes. than it has to yes. be? Uh, quarter to a half a teaspoon of salt and pepper, possibly more, more to the uh, for your taste, whatever mm, you prefer. Right. Um, add your diced potatoes and shredded cabbage to a cast iron skillet with your two tablespoons of olive oil. Saute for five to seven minutes until it begins to turn brown. Remove from the pan, then add the ground sirloin to the pan. Uh, cook all the way through and add your tomato paste, your Worcestershire sauce, your potatoes, your cabbage, your thyme, your salt, and your pepper. Um and that one of the things that I did was I added a little bit of ketchup to mine. Mm. And so it, I don't know. It just gave it a addition, little bit. Yeah. In addition to, to the tomato I, paste. Yes. A little, a little bit, bit of ketchup. ketchup. Okay. So preference, whatever you like. I think I did about a tablespoon of it. So it not just a whole lot. Helped, No, no. Just kind of helped give it a little bit of a tangy taste. Okay. Instead of a, you know, that, and that's my preference. You don't have to. So, so anyways, combine all that, um, cook for about three to four minutes, and then add a half a cup of water, bring to a boil, and cover reduce heat to low. Simmer for about 10 minutes, allowing the potatoes to time to soften. Uh, stir every couple of minutes to make sure it doesn't brown on the bottom. Once the meat mixture is done, season to taste, let it cool, cut your pie crust into circles uh, with a cookie cutter. I didn't have a big enough cookie cutter, so I just used a Cool Whip lid because it has a nice edge. So that's what I did and to make the bigger ones. Okay. Uh, Place your meat mixture into the center of your pie circle, uh, then flip over uh, to the other side, and then you're going to crimp your edges with a fork. Uh, Be sure to cut at least three slits in the top of your crust to vent it so it doesn't uh, explode. Bubble. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Cook in a 400-degree oven for about 12 to 15 minutes or until golden brown. Now, uh, you mentioned that you added a little bit of uh, ketchup. That wasn't yes. the only uh, adjustment uh, we made to yes. the recipe. First of all, you didn't use ground sirloin. Right. I, used, used I had cubes. I had cube, cube steaks, steaks that I cooked all day. Okay. And, and then that grounded, or it kind of just yeah. shredded on its own. And, and so, you know, sirloin is not necessarily no. required. No. And then also... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you did not use the uh, cabbage, right? Because I do not like cabbage. No, he doesn't like cabbage. Uh, so instead, you put in I uh, added bacon. Bacon. I, we had some leftover bacon, <laughs> which may be less Irish. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but anytime but... that you substitute cabbage for bacon, yes, that's a good day yeah. in my book. Good day that's, for that's a good a, day for Chris. That's a good exchange right there. But anyway, so you yes. can you know. Uh, Do it however you want, yes. However you like. Uh, Along with the Irish meat sandwich pies is an Irish beer cheese soup. Soup. Yes. Okay. So one large onion peeled and chopped, two tablespoons of minced garlic, one tablespoon of butter, two bottles of your uh, harp Irish style lager or any type of Irish beer. Yeah. You wanted a good Irish lager. Yes. 32 ounce uh, chicken broth, 14 ounce Irish cheese shredded, 14 14-ounce low-fat cream cheese cut into cubes, two tablespoons of cornstarch, two tablespoons of Dijon mustard, and then garnish it with bacon if you like. So uh, set a large uh, uh, saucepan over a uh, medium heat, add your butter, uh, let that melt, onions, garlic, and saute that for three to five minutes. Then scoop the softened onions into the food processor and add a cup of your chicken broth and then puree that in the food processor. Then 
pour that mixture back into your saucepan, add your remaining broth, your beer, and bring that to a boil. Then let that um, simmer on low heat for just a little while. Uh, um, I would say about 10, 15 minutes. Kind of let that all kind of get mixed together. And then toss the shredded um, Irish cheese with the cornstarch. Add the shredded cheese, cream cheese, and Dijon mustard to your broth. Whisk and melt. And then br- and then wait for your cream cheese to kind of break up. It's going to melt, so mm-hmm, you're gonna right. you're not you won't have lumps at the beginning. You'll have lumps, but you won't. I mean, you let it cook nice, and those, right. those that'll all go away. And then whisk, and uh, that the um, cornstarch also helps thicken up. Okay. The um, but the cheese will do a lot of that. A lot of the so you want that to uh, thicken, and this is important. You want to want that to thicken. Yes. But you don't want to bring it to a boil. Boil. Right. Right. Don't boil your cheese. No. No. Just real nice and low, Mm -hmm. steady. You know, it'll do it. It'll just give it time. So that's what soup is all about. So and then um, taste with salt and pepper as needed and serve um, as is or garnish with some bacon. I'm all all for uh, more bacon. You can never have too much bacon. Never have too much bacon. Uh, So and then to go along with the Irish meat sandwich pies and the Irish beer cheese soup. (laughs) And this is really why we have Irish recipes at all (laughs) is because of the recipe for for traditional Irish coffee. Yes, I love Irish coffee. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> so, so teaspoons, uh, uh, two teaspoons of light brown sugar, four ounce black coffee, freshly brewed, a shot of Irish whiskey, and a shot of heavy cream. So add your brown sugar to a glass, pour in your hot coffee, mix until the sugar is dissolved, add your whiskey, stir again, allow the mixture to rest just for a few seconds, then add your cream um, over the back of a uh, warm spoon. What I do is I just put my cream in like a little cup with a lid and shake it, and that kind of makes it foamy because okay. that's what they're you know. So then you make the kind of foamy, so then it kind of stays on top. Uh-huh. Yes, so, yes. So to make go. it look pretty, that's but how, then you drink it, that's and that's when it. it's amazing. That's how you do it. The uh, so traditional Irish coffee. Oh, there. I love Irish coffee. <laughs> One of my favorites. Uh, so the uh, recipes for the Irish meat sandwich pies, the Irish beer cheese soup, and the traditional Irish coffee are posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page, yes. right? At Kyra's Kitchen, W-F-I-N. And uh, also, we've got a link up at goodmornings.net. Where are we going uh, around the world next week? Do we know yet? I don't know yet. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm not for sure yet. So we'll uh, we'll put that out there. If you've yes. got a uh, suggestion oh, yeah. for uh, more of our around the world recipes, you can uh, post it there at the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page. Yes. Make sure you fa- uh, you uh, like us on and Facebook. And if you have a recipe that goes along with it, that would be even that more would be amazing. even better, yeah. Uh, again, at Kyra's Kitchen, WFIN on Facebook. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And with that, we finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, Going out, make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.